Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond On a platinum chain In Venice Beach there was a As far back as I can remember I always wanted to pick a movie to talk about With my friends and then record it on a podcast Uh this is the pick. I am your host, Colin Westman, and I am joined by John Otney and Sean Lemmy. He's got a great ass. Uh, uh, okay, so we got got Alpha. But, but so you, Sean, that wasn't week. Sean though, because you said Sean Lemmy has a great ass. So you're not him. You're someone else who's also here. What kind of a show are we putting on here today? How far are we going to go with this? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Al Pacino is here to record with us. Al, what's your... Uh, what's um, If you could have one role that you've never played, your dream role, what would your dream role be? The Grinch Who Stole Christmas! <laughs> oh, that'd be fantastic. Alright, let's give him yeah, a break. It's... He's getting a little worked up. It was me it's all like along. The, the one actor who could go bigger than Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> God, I don't know. Even like his body is movie. very Grinch shaped now. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Grinch look, shaped. Look it up. Look, it. look up Grinch. It's not a thing. I don't know what you're gonna find. Grinch shaped. Um, a lot of Grinch shaped trees where it's like it's like sad because like the top ornament is like sad. And do they look like Al Pacino? <laughs> not really. Mm. Especially not this You're year. He's not looking close enough. This he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman's pretty good year for Mr. Pacino. Yeah. Probably the best he's had in like ten years. <laughs> Maybe in twenty years. The, yeah. Yeah, what would be the last really good year for Al Pacino? <sighs> I mean, Someone once told me they liked Simone. I guess uh, Insomnia is, pre- is pretty good. That's like, what, 2002? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this week we're talking about The Irishman, uh, which just came out on Netflix uh, last Wednesday. Uh, I, I think I watched it on Wednesday. Uh, had a bunch of time on my hands, fortunately, to right before the... Uh, thanksgiving break um and we'll be talking about that later i guess first off we should talk about our little picks um, little picks little picks <laughs> so i don't know i feel like there's a lot of movies in theaters right now that i probably should have seen but instead i saw frozen 2 which I'll be recommending as my little pick. It's like about as good as Frozen, I would say. Um, I don't know. The songs aren't quite as good, but they're like, they're pretty good. And it it does the thing that we kind of talked about uh, in our Frozen discussion, how, well, I guess it does the opposite of how we noticed that Frozen is very front-loaded with a lot of songs but Frozen 2 actually like keeps the songs going throughout and makes it actually feel like a musical you know from top to bottom and like it 
it also feels a little less sloppy from a storytelling perspective, I suppose, since it has kind of like a built-in mythology, I suppose, because it, it, it all centers around this, um, like, forbidden forest that, I don't know, they, they all have to go on an adventure through. Um, uh, that's good to hear, because I heard that this one actually did end up going through a ton of rewrites and last-minute changes, just like the first one did. It just didn't also have the fact that it was in development for 70 years before that. Yeah. It was only in development for, like, five years. Um, it was weird to notice that one of the things we predicted um, on our Frozen pod, our Frozen podcast actually was a factor in the movie where I feel like for some reason we were talking about how all the different elements would be a part of it, like wind, fire, water, earth. Mm-hmm. No, no heart though. Um, I remember that was, that was a split because one of us said the seasons and one of us said the elements, and I can't remember which side I was on. Yeah, you're well, on you're. Elements. I mean, you were both right since yes. this one does. High <laughs> five! Both fall. right. Oh, yeah. Try again. Can you hear that? That's a high five. Yeah, you guys nailed it. So I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> you go continue. Well, I was just saying, like, there are these different creatures that inhabit like all of the four different elements, and they eventually have to use all of those elements to to break through the enchanted forest to uh, ah. to set free the people who have been trapped in it. Um, Does every element have its own Olaf? Um, no, but um. There are rock monsters in it. They're they're the the creatures who are they're the earth the earth people. Wait, but there were already rock monsters in Frozen. There are snowman monsters. I don't recall rock monsters. They're like trolls, right? I mean, they're friendly. They're not they big are giant like rock rocks. evil bad guys. Oh, these are like like the snow monster, like the ice guy. These are big, right? It's not voiced by Brad Garrett. Yeah, they they look a lot like the big snow monster guy. I see but in rock form also john you'll be pleased to know that the trolls have a very small appearance in it (laughs) they're like barely in one seat oh good 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 good. what i want to know is does this contain balls to the walls fantasy action like the trailer made it seem Mm -hmm. like it would uh not really i mean (laughs) that that seat is pretty cool but i wouldn't say there's like a lot of scenes like that I don't know. It's it's fairly entertaining. Is that horse uh, a good horse? Oh, the horse is great. The water horse that she gets, and yeah. then she also turns it into an ice horse. <gasps> yeah, that's a, that's a first class horse. <laughs> Beautiful to look at, as is really the whole movie, which isn't surprising. But yeah, because nice. she like tames it later. Anyways, yeah, hell yeah. yeah. There are probably other movies in theaters that are. <laughs> better than frozen 2 but uh they ain't gonna make as much money uh what's one of your guys's little picks i don't know who goes next i'll go uh my little pick is the netflix original series the movies that made us brought to you by the people behind the toys that made us (laughs) You guys know that show that I picked? It was my little pick literally last week? Yeah. yeah the same people have done the same show, 
But now it's about movies and the making of, of classic movies that we all love. And it's another four-episode season. The movies they did are uh, Dirty Dancing, Home Alone, Ghostbusters, and Die Hard. And it's pretty good. It feels a lot like The Toys That Made Us. A lot of talking heads, um, archive footage behind the scenes. It's like watching a pretty good DVD featurette, you know, but in 45-minute uh, blocks. And some of them are pretty interesting. Like I, Home Alone, a lot of interesting things going on behind the scenes of Home Alone. Like the fact that that movie was basically canceled at the last second as they were building sets uh, by Warner Brothers and then scooped up like by Fox. So they were like out, like they canceled the production for like an hour and then Fox like scooped it up. And it's crazy to hear about them like they filmed it all in Chicago, of course, building a whole house inside of a gymnasium. And Joe Pesci, who we'll be talking about in a little bit, and his struggles to not swear on set. So uh, he created a little gibberish language whenever he gets hurt in that movie. So he's just like, bah, 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 bah. but apparently there are takes they didn't show him where it's like, fuck. Yeah. Which I would he love had- to see. Because he had just gotten done filming Goodfellas. And uh, Die Hard was a really good episode, too, because I love hearing the convoluted backstory of how it was a sequel to that book that was uh, turned into a Frank Sinatra movie. So they had to offer Frank Sinatra the lead role in Die Hard. And it was funny hearing about all the people who turned down Die Hard. Really, the only one I wasn't super interested in was Ghostbusters. It didn't really seem like it faced that much um, going against it um in production the only really it's funny really the only thing was everyone was like is bill murray gonna show up i'm afraid is he gonna show up when we're supposed to shoot and he did so it worked out it's just it's just a fun show i wish it was more episodes uh it looks like they're mostly focusing on the 80s little guess a little bit of early 90s but it's fun makes you want to watch the movies after you watch the yeah are all those movies available on netflix <laughs> they should be right i don't think well, home alone's on disney plus oh. and i don't know about the others wouldn't it be funny if not I, you know i looked up dirty dancing is not on anything it'd be hilarious if none of them are on netflix i'm looking up die hard die hard is not is on crackle if you guys want to watch die hard on crackle with ads that's fun and ghostbusters is drum roll slow computer no that's the remake uh nope not on netflix <laughs> none of them are netflix. <laughs> those assholes dude there's a new ghostbusters movie coming out you guys hear about that it's called ghostbusters afterlife uh-oh really it's called afterlife yep you can have the ghost harold ramus yeah that's um looking forward to no that dreading you're gonna finish that sentence <laughs> oh dear yeah, we're going to be hearing a lot about Ghostbusters again this summer. Maybe it'll be a pick. But first, we have to get to your pick, Sean. Yeah, uh, I was going to talk about a movie, too, but I don't think I should because this isn't a movie podcast in its entirety. It's worth, like, this is... It, it kind of is. It kind of is, but... Um, also, it's, it's the end of the year. Movie Movies are the a big deal <laughs> right now. I mean, also, you guys don't really need to hear that much about Ford v. Ferrari. It's just... It's just Christian Bale going, Oh, mate, let's go vroom, vroom, vroom! For two and a half hours. <laughs> so this is... Is this his actual great. accent? That's... Sounds he does like some Because I've heard Christian Bale's actual accent, and it's pretty hideous. It's... <laughs> but he rarely does it, so it sounds like he did it for this one. Yeah, he did it. It's... It's great. It's a fun movie. Um, but I'm going to make my little pick. 
USA by Anna Managuchi. Uh, it's an album I'm listening to a lot lately because I've been kind of trying to get into electronic music again. Um, and Anna Managuchi is one of the, the bands I always come back to. They um, do a good job of merging sort of pop sensibilities with that chiptune style where they're actually using like old video game hardware to make sounds. Didn't we catch the end of one of their sets once? Yeah, we, we wanted to see the whole thing, but there was too long a line. That was at our... Um, Hatsune Miku experience. Yeah, we saw a hologram perform. Which, by the way, there is a Hatsune Miku track on uh, USA. Oh, so I yeah, I heard some of this album just a little bit. Yeah, I I think it's pretty good, especially like like Frozen Two. Maybe it's backloaded with really good songs. I feel like the first half is a little more boring than the ending is. Um, I like the their second album a lot more. Which was called Endless Fantasy. That uh, it's actually it's like super long, and it's, that one's really good, like all the way through. This one, it's, it took a little while to grow on me, but uh, easy to have on. It's an unusual style of music that I don't hear a lot of because I have no idea how anyone actually finds out about electronic music. It seems like they just go to raves and stuff, and it's just playing. I don't know how you actually <laughs> figure it out. I'd like to find out. Uh, but in the meantime, I'll just keep listening to this on repeat. You said that one album was called Endless Fantasy? Am I wrong? Is that what you said? That's that's what I said. Okay, no, you're, yeah, you're right. I just misheard you and I wrote Emma's Fantasy. So much porn. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not the way to go. Uh, but yeah, I should check this out. Endless Fantasy, and then I'll check out Emma's Fantasy. Yeah, you got a lot of options, sounds like. <laughs> All right, so... The Irishman uh, is a movie directed by Martin Scorsese, and I wanted to talk a little bit about his career. It's just I didn't want to talk about the whole thing since he's uh, made a lot of movies, but I guess I'll just talk about all the movies he made since I became a fan of him, just because I don't know that there's any director who's had more of an impact on I don't know just my taste in movies or just my I don't know status as a as a film fan like really growing up I I didn't I wasn't like a huge movie guy like I I became really into rock music as a teenager and my parents never like watched a ton of movies but then I think it was the summer before senior year I saw Raging Bull and it kind of just fucking blew my mind. And after that, I was just hooked on Scorsese and just on <laughs> movies in general. And uh, I, I guess the first movie I saw in theaters of his after, after kind of devouring a bunch of his films was The Departed. And I kind of feel like the movie's sort of a, a turning point for him just because it was the movie where he both had like a, a decent amount of mainstream success with that movie um, and also finally got an Oscar, whether that matters or not. But um, since then, I don't know, his, his career has been interesting. It, it's seen him kind of becoming... A little less stuffy in how he feels about 
technology in film um, and also kind of experimenting with genres. Um, I guess after, I'll just go through the movies he did since The Departed. I mean, after that he did Shutter Island, which uh, it's, it's more of like a horror thriller genre picture, which I guess he had done before with um, Cape Fear in the 90s. Um, and then after that, he did uh, Hugo, which was only a year later, um, which is a movie where he was <laughs> kind of experimenting with, with 3D, which I feel like that movie, I haven't seen it since theaters, but I'm, I'm sure it holds up fine without the 3D, unlike maybe some of the other 3D-centric movies from that era. He also, um, wasn't he doing that thing that a lot of filmmakers do where they're like, oh no, my young kids can't see any of my work. I should make something <laughs> that they can actually enjoy before I die. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But yeah, I, I guess he did have kids. And then uh, he made a kid's movie, which was weird to see. A kid's movie from the guy who was like constantly setting the record for most f bombs in a movie, <laughs> uh, and and he actually like pulled it off. Like I I think that's a a really good movie, but also feels kind of personal to him since it's sort of about uh, the history of cinema, which is something he's deeply interested in. Since George Millier is a character in the movie. Um, and then after that, he did Wolf of Wall Street, which is a movie I feel like is <clears throat> kind of divisive. Like, I like it, but I, I know a lot of people love it. Um, and I, I don't quite love it, but I did enjoy seeing Scorsese in like his <laughs> you know, sort of energetic Goodfellas casino, uh, I don't know, mold, just making a totally out there uh visually <laughs> adventurous and totally virtuistic movie um and then after that we've got a uh, silence which <laughs> uh, is kind of like t just a total uh u-turn from wolf of wall street just like a very somber uh movie that he um was trying to get made for probably like over a decade i think as for as long as i'd been a scorsese fan i'd always seen silence like in production on his imdb page um and that's a movie that i i feel like kind of makes sense uh when watching the irishman like these are two very sort of late period movies where he's grappling with uh you know faith in in silence which is uh I don't know, just very heavy on its religious themes which I think kind of accounts for why it wasn't like a huge hit or anything and then the Irishman he seems to be wrestling more with uh, its own mortality I would say uh, since it is kind of in the, the gangster mold but it's a little more slow and meticulous but also has um I don't know the allure and the the energy of his his great gangster movies. Would you say that those uh, fifteen or so years of movies epitomize the the type of narrative films that he's interested in making? When you have um, like unexpected genre flicks like Shutter Island and Hugo and 
crime movies like The Departed and Wolf of Wall Street and religious movies like Silence, is that you think representative of everything that he likes to do or is he is he missing something? I think it is, but it it's also like <laughs> I think some of them are movies that he would have never expected to make. Like, is he just... I think he had already made all the movies he was really passionate about making and and were sort of distinctly movies that he wanted to make, but then he got to a point where he'd done everything he'd wanted to do. He'd had all the success in the world, and then he was making movies where he was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that, why not? But I think just because he's so fluent in the language of cinema and because he throws himself into every movie he makes he he ended up making movies that felt i don't know true to to his vision as an artist even if they weren't like i don't know the 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 movies of a young hungry filmmaker but still the movies of a an older filmmaker who still has like a lot to to offer just because he loves making movies so much do you think you would have had a different appreciation of Scorsese if you had um, been alive when he, if you were, you know, the same age as him, if you came up watching him as sort of a rebellious young filmmaker instead of what he was by the time we were aware of his films, which is like established as one of the all-time great directors <laughs> and maybe the greatest American director? Probably, I don't know. That's such a hard thing to do is put yourself in another time period and in the the state of mind of someone older than you are. But um, like even when Scorsese has that kind of reverence and and status as one of the most beloved filmmakers, it's not like his movies are. I don't know. They don't feel stuffy or like caked in dust or anything like they're very approachable they're very easy to sit down and watch and enjoy and they're still full of risks and i don't know there's an energy to them that it doesn't make them feel like they belong in a museum i guess is what i'm saying so even if even approaching them when i was younger they didn't feel like they didn't feel like old movies i guess is what i'm saying i think Um, for me there's something about they're just such like dude movies they're just <laughs> movies for for guys definitely yeah <laughs> i don't know i he's i enjoy every scorsese movie i watch i can't think of one that i didn't like uh that i've that i've actually bothered to watch but he's not i'm not i don't get as excited as basically every film critic <laughs> online uh when he has a new movie coming out i mean i skip stuff like silence even though i heard it was good i don't know what it is about it interesting i mean yeah i i don't i don't even know if i typically get that excited about one of his new movies coming out but i still know that i have to see them just because it's scorsese man um at least he's not Steven Spielberg. Like, I'm someone who tries to go see new Steven Spielberg movies. I gotta go see a fucking West Side Story remake next year. <laughs> and he just made a stupid video game movie, like, you know, a couple years ago. Yeah. Like, thank God Scorsese has at least, like, I don't know. Like, 
trying exciting things, you know. I feel like Spielberg is in a very safe, boring place, and he'll never get out of it. <laughs> but, but I think Indiana Jones 5 is going to be really good, you guys. <laughs> That'll be the one. Yeah. You know, bless Scorsese for never getting sucked into doing franchises or anything. Kind of interesting. He did make yeah. Shark Tale. Uh, he didn't make Shark Tale. You think he was in there, Sean, in <laughs> a cutting room? <laughs> Yeah, I don't the like, the shark. I like the shark. He always has Final Cut. Yes, he, he had Final Cut on Shark Tale. <laughs> was Robert De Niro the other? He was the bad guy shark in that, right? Is that how that worked out? That sounds right. I don't. And know. And Will Smith is the fish, and then there's like Jack Black as uh, the son of the shark mob guy. I've seen the end. They do the song Car Wash, which makes no sense. They're already underwater. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really, we should have just been act. We should have been talking about Martin Scorsese's acting career. What else is there? I don't know. <laughs> oh, he was in fun. Quiz Show. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I want to know now. I'm going to Martin. I know we have a lot to talk about. I'm going to his acting page on IMDb. Produce acting. He has 34 credits. Uh, yeah, these are just like appearances on TV shows. He plays Vincent Van Gogh in Akira Kurosawa's Dreams. <laughs> that sounds like a dream for sure. Isn't the whole thing with Dreams, Akira Kurosawa's like, these are my dreams that I had and now I've made them into a movie. That's literally just it. I mean, he's getting old. Yeah, but mostly you know, just, you know, being in his own movies, little cameos here and there. Not a whole lot else. Shark Tale is a weird oddity in his filmography. <laughs> it's pretty weird. He just had to do it. That. He plays Sykes. Yeah. Made a lot of money. Yeah. Irish Shark Tale. I think I read somewhere that uh, Martin Scorsese made more money off of Shark Tale than he did on any other movie he ever made. <laughs> wow. That's, uh... That can't sad, possibly but... be true, right? <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. I'm not talking about like the box office returns. I'm talking about his like personal profit. I'll, I'll come I'll, if I. It's just it. one of those things. that's so fucked up. You know, it has to be true. <laughs> just like Frank Sheeran's biography. Yeah. Except, it sounds like a lot of people don't think it's true. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I. <laughs> from what I've read about uh, I heard you paint shirts. houses yep I heard you paint houses which feels like that is actually the title of this movie yeah that's, that's the title card sense. at both the beginning and the end of the movie I heard you paint houses Frank I want you to meet my cousin Russell Buffalino better watch there's a lot of tough guys around here did he tell you You're not afraid of tough guys, are you? I didn't think so. I was one of a thousand working stiffs until I wasn't no more. You got a good friend here. You don't know how good a friend you got. Russell, he took a shine to me right away. After a while, he started giving me little things to do. I know you read a lot of things about me. I just want to say I'm sorry. I know I wasn't a good dad. I know that. I know that. I was just trying to, to protect all of you. From what? You didn't see what I see, what I've been through. 
friend of ours is having a little So uh, The Irishman, uh, much like Silence, it sounds like, was a movie that was long in development. Uh, it was actually Robert De Niro who wanted to do it after reading uh, Frank Sheeran's biography, I Heard You Paint Horses, which horses. is interesting. <laughs> what? I Heard You Paint Horses is what you said. I heard you paint horses. The first class yeah, is horse. what I said. They uh, they shoot horses, don't they? Yeah, I think I believe that's... they paint horses. Sean. They paint horses, don't they? <laughs> I've definitely said they they. I heard they paint horses multiple times. Really? Since this movie came. What out. is it about that? They're similar words. <laughs> that's it. Does it have to be more than that? It sounds like something about like uh, racist guys learning about Native Americans. Well, there you go. There's your there's your script. Go write that. Maybe you can get a Netflix deal. Yeah, they do like making movies about racists. <laughs> yes, that's true. Clint Eastwood will direct. Mm-hmm. And star. And star. Oh. Anyways, I was just gonna say I thought that was interesting because. I believe that's also how Raging Bull got made, was Robert De Niro read um, Jake LaMotta's biography, and then he was like, hey, Scorsese, we should make this movie. It'll be a good movie. Okay. And then, uh, we we're, eventually we're t- made it. We've made it through two of the impressions. We just need to hear John's Joe Pesci. I guess we, we, we almost got there when you're talking about him making up his swear language. Does it have to come in naturally, or should I you'd just be like, what? You'd be like, uh, eh. <laughs> Sounds like Bugs Buddy so far. <laughs> I'm going to so break anyways. into your house, you fucking kid. That's pretty so good. So anyways, Scorsese and De Niro were trying to get this movie made, but they didn't want to make it without their friend Joe Pesci. So they went to their friend Joe Pesci, and they're like, hey, Joe, will you make this movie with us? And he was like... Eh, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, after, after, I think I read he turned it down like 30 times. Dude, he's doing like, his albums, right? What? He's a hit, he's a hit recording sensation. He's probably working on his album. Yeah, that's true. He's a, he's a talented man. Such a specific number. Was De Niro, like, really writing this down? I asked him today, and he said no. Attempt number three was <laughs> a failure. Better, better, better try again and two months every two months that's what took so long um but yeah i don't know if i have anything else to say about the the production of it i guess a key element of it obviously was doing the uh de-aging uh technology which I, I I think Scorsese was a, a little hesitant to do it because he wasn't sure if the the technology would quite be there. But I guess thankfully the project was in development hell for so long that uh, I don't know de aging in movies started to get better and better. That they felt like they could do it. It was just a little weird. Like he he could have picked a younger actor, but. I guess after listening to the backstory of it, it really was De Niro's project, so I guess it kind of felt like it had to be him. All right, here we go again. Let's do it. De-aging technology. The final round. <laughs> we've, we've talked about it in Tron Legacy. Uh, I forget what other movies we've talked about de-aging in. 
Gemini oh, Man. I it, talked about Gemini it, Man. It Chapter 2. It Chapter 2. It keeps coming up on this podcast. Uh, we're getting pretty close to its final form here with The Irishman, where a lot of the time it's pretty seamless. I've, I feel like most of the time what gives up that it's an effect is the bodies. It's not the actual <laughs> yeah. faces. Um, although I have seen people online talking about old man ears on young man faces, which I get where they're coming from on that. <laughs> yeah, I think De Niro's really the only one that's occasionally distracting because he has to beat people up and he's kind of like his back is hunched a little bit and he's kind of just yeah. like hobbling over there. Yeah. For people like Al Pacino, I wasn't even really sure what they did. Like, I couldn't tell how much younger he's supposed to be or if they did anything at all, you know? So I guess that's a good thing. I think one thing that also helps this movie is they're, they're never, you're never, like, 100% how old anyone's supposed to be. Yeah. Like, even though there's scenes mm-hmm. where Robert De Niro's probably, like, supposed to be, like, 30, like, they don't say anything. He just looks like Meet the Parents-era Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> if he was like, hey, I'm, in, I'm 18, I'm in high school, like, I'd be like, okay, this isn't working <laughs> yeah. so well. There are these cues, right? Like, uh, he has, uh, like, a newborn daughter, and Joe Pesci calls him kid, which is like, <laughs> this dude looks like he's fucking 45 at the youngest. <laughs> Um, and so like obviously if this movie was made 20 years ago it would have been Leonardo DiCaprio in old man makeup at the end it, or, like Jay or Edgar. if it was made 20 years ago so it would have been these guys uh, just yeah, 20 years younger uh, but it would have been obviously it would have been made with a younger actor and not yeah. these older guys Yeah, and like we're saying for the most part it doesn't bother me when they're younger and obviously it pays off at the end where you find out that really this movie is about mortality and it does i think does give it some weight when it's the same guys and you get to watch this dramatized version of the ravages of time take its toll on joe pesci and robert de niro yeah the old man stuff works really well this is a very it's funny whereas past Scorsese movies have been like fun gangster movies this is a very somber gangster movie Mm -hmm. this isn't like a fun one (laughs) and it's like and that's obviously been something that's been in movies like The Wolf of Wall Street and Casino and Goodfellas and The Departed this idea that despite the allure of these criminal lifestyles it all ends up going to shit in the end but I don't think I felt it as much as you do in this one. I feel like this one, he finally really hit the mark on this gangster lifestyle fucking sucks. It destroys your whole life. And then you find out it was all a meaningless waste anyway. Yeah. I mean, in Goodfellas, you kind of get to see everything unravel as, as when Henry Hill's being followed by the FBI and then they finally track him down and he enters the witness protection program. But you don't really see anything like after. It's basically just like he has to go back to living a normal life, but there's like one shot in it where you just see him getting the paper and he's like, yeah, my life sucks now. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this movie you get like, I don't know, at least 45 minutes of Robert De Niro sort of, you know, his post-gangster life where he's just dealing with the consequences of, of what he's done in his past. And, yeah, that that whole section of the movie is really what, what stuck with me. Um, it blew but, me away that, um, obviously, the big centerpiece of this movie is the the assassination of... 
Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa. But right after that happens, it's I don't know if it's the next scene, but it's like pretty close. It's just a few scenes later. It's like, well, we all went to jail anyway for other stupid crimes. Petty shit. Yeah. Yeah. It was like all this was basically for nothing. Mm-hmm. On, on that topic, too, I just want to bring up how much I love how Scorsese films crime. Because I feel like, it, 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 like let's say Zack Snyder is directing The Irishman. Uh-huh. You have a scene where someone is getting shot. It would go to slow-mo. Cue another one bites the dust. Bullet shells flying, you know. Which mm-hmm. really dramatic. But, like, people, like, Robert De Niro just gets out of a car, shoots someone in the face, and then walks away. And uh-huh. it's, like, it, it all seems so meaningless. It's, it's like, it feels so real and gritty. And then they blow up a car. And then they blow up a car. They have so many car explosions, you guys. <laughs> I've never seen so many car explosions. Especially the part with all the taxis blowing up. Yeah. Like, dumb taxis yeah. and rivers. And you're like, yeah, you know what else we could do? Blow them up with dynamite. <laughs> And it's like the whole montage of just cars blown up and that one woman getting in her car is like, should I turn it on? Am I going to blow up? I can't believe in that moment of indecision, she's like, well, I'm going to start the car I can't just not start the car. (laughs) I did like that Jimmy Hoffa's wife was played by the actress in Goodfellas who was like the babysitter who had to get her hat. And that was the reason that Henry Hill got caught. I've never seen her in another movie before. I had no idea. But, uh, I mean, this definitely felt like a, it was like Scorsese's Avengers, basically. He's bringing in all his, all his Italian guys. Even Harvey Keitel's in it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Could have used a little more, maybe. But, uh, yeah. He's the oldest. I looked it up. Not by much. <laughs> by like a year. That's, He's 80. That makes sense. He, he doesn't look, look bad in it, but... I think Pacino's like 79, maybe. And then hmm. what? De Niro and Pesci are both 76, maybe younger. Oh, yeah. That reminds me. The thing I want to talk about with Pacino being de-aged is like, how come his voice changed so much when he got older? You go back and watch The Godfather. He doesn't He doesn't talk like this. It'd be weird if he did. Oh, how he doesn't talk like old, old school Pacino? Yeah. That would have been interesting. Yeah, do you think they could have asked Pacino to do an impression of himself in the himself? 70s? <laughs> could you not growl so much, Al? He's just a heavy smoker. I think, I think most Sizak on The Simpsons is Hank Azaria doing an old-school Al Pacino impression. Really? Yeah. So there's like your cartoony version of that. So you can just kind of put that in your head and have fun with it. So there's a lot of movie here, guys. How do we want to go about this? Yeah, so much too much yeah I, I don't know if i want to go through it like beat by beat should we do it by we character most of our movies uh that sounds fun who do you want to start with ray romano yeah let's start with ray romano he plays bill buffalino that's right yeah who is russell buffalino's cousin Yes. And a lawyer for the Teamsters Union. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, his wedding is the framing device for the first level of flashback. You gotta have the, a wedding. That the movie, movie is like set this. in. Because this, this is one of those movies where most of it is a flashback within a flashback. Uh, yeah. And so you have that first level of flashback, which is the... Uh, 
the car ride slash assassination. And that's the, the car ride is also ostensibly to go to that wedding. So really, Rare Miles is like the most important character. And we know he gets a happy ending, too, because uh, Joe Pesci and De Niro talk about how uh, this new woman he's marrying is, is really the right fit for him. And he thinks it's, it's really going to work out. He wasn't, like, shot walking out of a hotel or something. <laughs> <laughs> I like that that touch, very Scorsese, of, of the little... On the, the text on the screen for characters when they're yeah. introduced of how they were killed, yeah. usually because of their connections to crime. This isn't going to work out for anyone involved. <laughs> no, he, he died relatively young. No, C-72. Never mind. Leukemia. Night in the 90s. All right. Worked out. Good for him. Yeah. Um, I like seeing Ray Romano do dramatic stuff. He also was in a good movie this year called Paddleton. I mean, I think we're at the point where Ray Romano is a dramatic actor, right? He doesn't do comedy anymore. <laughs> When's the last time he was like, just in a real knee slapper? It's, it's kind of funny in The Big Sick, even though... Yeah, I was going to say, that movie's sort of a comedy. Yeah. I, I guess he's riding that fine line between, I'm like, kind of funny, but this is also kind of serious. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he was also on the show Vinyl. Which Scorsese oh. directed the pilot to, mm. which also said Bobby Cannavale. Yes, I was <laughs> gonna make my way to Bobby Cannavale. Well, he doesn't really do that much. He's kind of more of a background. He likes character. the good steak. He's the guy who gets to age with makeup in this movie because they like thin his hair out over over time. And the other guys age with makeup too. You just see his his, his way sooner because it seems like he's supposed to be older. Than uh, Robert De Niro, which is weird. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> like Robert De Niro is at that, that like, banquet thing for him, and like yeah, there he is with like uh, Bobby Cannavale with like thinning gray hair, slick back, looks like an old aging seventies you know porn director. <laughs> it's a good look for him. He pulls it off. He pulls it right off. <laughs> yeah, most of the other characters don't get to age. There's that fat guy who gets to age up, but most of them just get killed. So. Yeah. You don't, you don't live long in a, in, a, in a Scorsese movie. Or you live long with regret. Which is worse. It's a tough choice. <laughs> I think we hit on everything with Bobby Cannavale. It's kind of there. There's a lot of cool people that just kind of pop up. Yeah, like Harvey Keitel. Yeah, you could say the same about Harvey Keitel. He's just there. He's wearing sunglasses. It's a cool, tough man. Let me take a look at the cast. I guess I guess we're working our way to Joe Pesci, basically, uh, because these are all the Buffalino. We're not going to talk about Anna Paquin. Philly mobsters. I mean, I didn't rule out Anna Paquin. Do you think Anna Paquin is the next we step from Bobby Cannavale? Of prominence. Okay, Anna Paquin. A lot of people are criticizing Anna Paquin because not not her uh, the her part in the movie because she only basically has one line. Um, but I think it's fair to say that that was a deliberate choice, and she has a lot of meaningful looks in the film. I think that's that's uh, her and Scorsese trusting each other to make that one line really count, and making her a constant presence in the movie so that you feel it even more when she does speak. Right? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it certainly made the movie feel like more of a dude movie that like none of the women characters really talk that much and it's like of course you're gonna expect that this is a very male world of like teamsters and gangsters it's like 
yeah, they're they're all going to be men, but I don't know. You look at Goodfellas. Uh, Lorraine Bracco is like maybe the second lead in that movie. She has her own voiceover. Same with Sharon Stone in Casino. But yeah, this is a movie about men, men and their relationships with each other. Old men and their relationships. Yeah. Old, old, old men. Grumpy old men is what they should. Grumpy old men three. <laughs> yeah. Or grumpiest old men, because I think the second one is called Grumpier Old Men. The grumpiest old men. Um, I guess the two wives get to like complain that they don't get enough smoke breaks in the back of the car yeah. at the start of the movie. <laughs> That's a fun detail. A lot of fun details in uh, mm-hmm. Scorsese movies. You know, one of my favorite, I don't know what you call it, it's one of my favorite kind of uh, little, little bits in a Scorsese movie, and this movie has a, a handful of them, is when characters have a conversation... And someone starts picking on something that seems inconsequential, but then that becomes like the crux of the conversation. An example being when they're having that meeting with that Teamster guy, Pro, and they start talking about traffic. And like he's like, oh, you should at least allow 15 minutes for traffic. No, 10 minutes for traffic. And they start having this conversation about traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely brings you back to the, the what, oh, do you think I'm funny? The scene, you know, scene from Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah. Or another scene I really like is when they're driving that car and uh, Jesse Pone's like, oh, I had a fish back there. And they start, well, what kind of fish was it? Yeah. And like, why did you put it on the seat? And, like that, and it's just like, you're getting so much of these characters when it seems like they're talking about something totally unrelated to what's actually going on. But it's actually really important because they're talking about it. <laughs> That's such a nice Scorsese touch. Yeah. And he also trusts you to pay attention and remember these things. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember early on... Um, De Niro talks about how if someone tells you that they're a little concerned about something, that means they're like really actually stressed about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of times after that where people say things like, I'm a little concerned about this Hoffa guy. And you have to pick up on the subtext of, oh, that's referring to what they taught us earlier. Otherwise, right. it's just like, oh, what a benign, stupid thing you say. <laughs> Smart writing. Steven Zalian wrote this who's that you're at gangs in new york and schindler's list awakenings moneyball made moneyball he's yeah <laughs> that's my favorite of all those movies well i wasn't sure on his, his level of involvement but did he write like do a draft and they're like they totally re- like redid it or did he polish up aaron sorkin's draft does anyone know i believe steve zalian wrote the first draft and then aaron sorkin was brought in to punch it up i guess is that the version that had Dimitri Martin? Have you guys heard about this? Oh, uh, Dimitri Martin was originally cast in the Jonah Hill part, but there was some issues, and they had to oh, reschedule. Of course, that guy he's gone. fucking loves lost, stand lost in front it, of lost his chance. A chalkboard and explain things. <laughs> explain things. Yeah, what a nerd. What were we talking about? Well, oh, Stephen Zalian. Yeah, it was cool to see him uh, work again with Scorsese. Is he an old? He's got to be, right? Same. Or what do you, what, how old is an old for you, Sean? <laughs> Let me look him up. Into the 70s or beyond. Steven Zalian <laughs> is 66. Not quite there. He's a senior. He's not an old. Yeah. But I was pretty impressed looking back at his filmography. A few, a few stinkers, but for the most part, pretty good work. Like... He did do Exodus, Gods, and Kings. <laughs> and uh, I don't think people liked All the King's Men, the remake, of course. He didn't direct the original. And uh, the Hannibal, uh, you know, the one with Gary Oldman 
as Mason Verger, like he wrote that. But like a lot of good stuff, like I was saying, Awakening, Schindler's List, and uh, the most important, I think, being Gangs of New York, because yeah, back together, axe fights, axe fights. Is there axe fights in this? I don't recall an axe fight. There wasn't know. Gangs of New York. I, I get no why you said it. But I was just wondering. There are gunfights. Is there even? I guess there's. He beats up the grocery guy with his bare hands. Okay. But I think it's mostly just gunfights. And exploding right. cars. Even though if you would call them fights, I feel like it's always just someone gets shot and then they're dead. Um, okay. Sorry. It's not kind of close to the book on Anna Paquin, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> sure. Are we finally going to talk about Joe Pesci? Yeah, it's been forever. When's the last time we saw it? He was in Love Ranch, which no one saw and I heard was bad. Oof. And then like The Good Shepherd, right? That's like it. Maybe something, some like bullshit voiceover in an animated movie no one ever saw, but he hasn't been doing anything. So it's crazy to see him back. Well, I think Joe Pesci. I think Lethal Weapon. I think Home Alone. I think Scorsese movies. And I guess My Cousin Vinny. Don't that... forget Gone Fishing and Eight Heads and a Dog. <laughs> I did. I forgot both of those. <laughs> John, have you seen Eight Heads and a Duffel Bag? Yeah, there's a scene where they all the, he has a dream where all the heads start singing to him. Okay. Does he play... How's in my that? memory, it's good, but I don't think that's correct. <laughs> Does he play like a gangster guy? Oh, yeah, look at that. He's a gangster, poster. yeah. He's carrying on a bag with eight heads in him. Yeah, okay. Comedy uh, mobster movie. They were like, hey, what if we brought his two best... Uh, the two best things we love about Pesci, the, the Mafia and Home Alone, <laughs> and made them into one movie. <laughs> <laughs> you get eight heads in a duffel bag. Um, well, but my, my point is of those those four things that I associate him with, those are all uh, loud, borderline annoying performances <laughs> that he's giving. Even like, the ones that I threw in there are, are, are those like kind of performances. Over-the-top characters. Uh, and this is not that. This is He's playing the most subdued person in the entire movie. I don't think he ever even loses his temper. No. At, at least not that I remember. No. It's cool. Uh, he has a calm confidence about himself. It's Ruffle, Russell Buff, Buffalino. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a lot of the times when he does his most nefarious and devious acts, he's just like, it is what it is, right? <laughs> Hell yeah. It's got to be this way. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've seen a Bob Boss who is like that. <laughs> that low key like even in goodfellas paul sorvino's like he gets a little mad sometimes like he'll he'll slap some people around even though he is like a a chill mobster but like you you don't even have a like a tiny moment of anger in, in joe pesci's performance yeah i think even don vito got angry you know like, like, not maybe even like yelling like that, but oh, so I thought you were talking about Don Vito from Viva the Bang. <laughs> All he did yeah. was get angry. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah. <laughs> Dedicate this to Don Vito. Maybe not. Maybe he's a creep. Yeah, that guy had some problems. <laughs> I feel like every five cents we're getting derailed in this podcast. This is a troublesome one. I still can't figure out this fun fact, this uh, Shark Tale fact that you give me, John. I can't debunk it, but I found nothing to prove this that 
Watch this case he made bar from Shark Tale than he ever made in any movie you've ever made. Where did you hear this, Sean? I mean, probably Twitter or Reddit, somewhere very not trustworthy. I mean, you could be right. I just haven't found that yet. Yeah, like I said, it's so fucked up, it's gotta be true. <laughs> okay. Okay, so should we talk about Al Pacino next, then? We gotta talk about Al Pacino! So, he's he's definitely going big in this one, as he usually yeah, does. He's doing, he's doing the Pesci. Definitely, maybe. Th- well, yeah, he's doing <laughs> the, the typical Pesci. Uh, I, I was trying to think, is, is there like a really subdued Al Pacino performance? I'm sure he's done a few. Yeah, Godfather 1. You mean of recent year or in general? Uh, in general. I guess he's, he's probably had a few. It's probably just... some of his early ones, like, um, what's that movie called? The, the Scarecrow with Gene Hackman, what's that called? Oof, yeah. Scarecrow and the... That's or like Panic in Eagle Park. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of those like 70s dramas. Not the crazy ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or in more recent years, I bet Manglehorn, David Gordon Green's Manglehorn. You guys yeah. check that out. God. I know so it was on your most anticipated list, right? It's one where he's got a cat. I, and there's like keys or something? Has something to do with keys? Maybe he makes keys? He has a cat and makes keys. That's my guess. I mean, that's all I could glean from looking at the poster, which is just <laughs> him holding a cat in front of a bunch of keys on a wall. You know... I want to say, and I could be wrong here, when he played Kevorkian, I think it was more subdued. And that was really good. Yeah. Whereas his Phil Spector was like totally wacky. And like, yeah, I don't know about this one works as well. But his Kevorkian is really good. Um, I would definitely recommend. I think it's called like You Don't Know Jack. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's a good movie. It's a good story. And then but he, but he don't completed I? That don't trilogy. I? What he do could, I not know about Kevorkian? Know. But he completed that trilogy too with Paterno, right? He had to do the HBO... <laughs> Disgraced old men trilogy. <laughs> I think those are like all. I don't know if they all are, but at least two of them are like Barry Levinson movies. Too. So he's, yeah. he's busy with a lot of sort of biopics, huh? Playing real figures. Yeah, but yeah, mostly he just screams a lot. That's his thing. That's what he won his Oscar for. He probably didn't deserve it for that role, but whatever. It's still a fun movie. Woman. There's a good Thanksgiving movie. I was trying to think of another Thanksgiving movie. I should have been watching. You just gotta keep thinking. What's Chris O'Donnell in? <laughs> Are you saying that because you're watching Batman, forever, watching Batman on Thanksgiving? forever on Thanksgiving? And then I watched Batman and Robin the next day. I think day. you came to a conclusion about Batman Forever, right? In terms yeah, of it it's com- the worst of those, it's the worst one of those '90s Batman movies. <laughs> but how did it have been better had Al Pacino been Two Face? Actually, it would have been exactly the same. It would have been exactly this. It would have made more sense. Like it's weird that Tommy Lee Jones is doing an Al Pacino probably performance. the worst performance of his career. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one of the biggest paychecks of his career, though. Oh, for sure. Uh, but Al Pacino in The Irishman. <laughs> in The Irishman. His hair is funny, and he was wearing hilarious shoes, but you don't see that actually in the movie, just in those behind-the-scenes photos. Because he's supposed to be like six feet taller than Robert De Niro, so they put him in big oh. lift shoes. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of Jimmy Hoffa. He's kind of like he's, he's like a big guy, kind of like a pug nosed. His he, uh, his hair is 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 kind of like that, but it's um it's not quite as high as Al Pacino. I'm sure Al Pacino didn't want to cut it all the way because he, he keeps it pretty stylish. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And have you guys ever seen? Uh, I haven't even seen the movie, but you know Jack Nicholson also played Hoffa. 
Have you oh, seen how he yeah. looks in that role? The I think up to this point, the only other movie I'd seen with Jimmy Hoffa in it is Bruce Almighty. What? What? <laughs> one of the first miracles Bruce Almighty uh, does is he uncovers Jimmy Hoffa's corpse. What? Okay. <laughs> Why though? Because he's been fired from the uh, the news station he works at. And so he goes with a camcorder, and he he happens to he makes a miracle happen where he's there when they dig up Jimmy Hoffa's dead body, and he's the only one who has the footage of the body being pulled from the earth. Jeez. All right, I'll have to check that out, and I'll have to check out Hoffa. Yeah, if you if you look at images of Jack Nicholson Hoffa, he's wearing this terrible prosthetic nose that just makes him look like Richard Nixon. It looks really terrible. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't try to make Al Pacino look too much like Hoffa. I mean, obviously, they gave him a, a very specific look, but he, they just kind of let him do his own thing, yeah. which I think was the best move. Well, I mean, going back to the book, we're, we're, this is a story that is probably mostly made up, so <laughs> might as well. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, even about Frank Sheeran saying, like, oh, yeah, I killed Jimmy Hoffa. Like, no one ever found out if that was true. A lot of people don't think it's true, mm-hmm. so who knows what to believe. And the, and I, I read that that's true about Crazy Joe as well. They they think that, that someone else killed Crazy Joe. I don't remember who played Crazy Joe though. Fuck that guy. We're talking about Pacino. Um, I think the the criticism is that he he goes big in a way that uh, I mean we were talking about how Pesci is like maybe the most subdued he's ever been in his whole career, and De Niro is also giving a very subdued performance. Um, but I think that's a deliberate choice that everyone is making. I think Jimmy Hoffa is, uh, unlike the other two, a public figure and charismatic. Uh, you know, he doesn't lead by intimidation, and he's not a hitman. So, of course, his style would not perfectly mesh with these two other guys. Yeah, I think it's a nice counterpoint. I mean, uh... It'd be weird if, like, it starred three very somber <laughs> dudes. <laughs> we all know where this is going. Yeah, but I, I think having, like, a loose cannon in there kind of, it gives it that classic Scorsese feel. I mean, he is, yeah, he's basically Joe Pesci and Goodfellas, but he's weirdly, like, the most respected uh, character in the movie. Okay, and this gets to something that I brought up with John. It's like one of my chief complaints with this film. Mm-hmm. Um, the first half of this movie, even though they were explaining things, I couldn't really follow what was going on in that I didn't I didn't understand why uh, the Irishman likes Jimmy Hoffa so much. Like, he's like my like their best friends i didn't understand why hoffa goes to jail like I, I know that it was it was jury tampering but i don't i didn't understand what the case was that where he had a jury in the first place it just seemed like there was a lot of crime happening and i was just supposed to like accept that it's just it's just crime times <laughs> I, don't know. I just feel like it would have gotten too complicated if they kept getting into the specifics of uh, these different cases or different crimes that were happening. I mean, I will admit it. Yeah, it is a lot to keep track of. Like it, it, it does move at kind of a fast clip, or at least it doesn't 
stop to to let you know exactly what criminal acts these guys are committing. Well, then let me take a step back though and and focus on the other thing I was asking, which is, do you yeah. guys buy that uh, Peggy and Frank and Russell would all like Jimmy Hoffa this much? Um. Not the Al Pacino version of Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> I mean, the movie does set up the fact that Jimmy Hoffa was like this huge household name in the 60s. And I think a part of it is possibly they're just enamored with his celebrity and power, even if <laughs> maybe he doesn't seem like always the most pleasant person to be around. He loves, does like ice cream, though. Yeah, it really, yeah. Made, this cream. movie really made me want steak, ice cream, and bread that you can dip in juice. Yeah. The, the three food groups. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah. You got yourself a meal. Protein, sugar, and carbs. You're set. <laughs> all right. Uh, should we move on to De Niro, then? The Irishman himself. The Irishman himself. Do they call him the Irishman in the movie? I don't think so. Oh, I dude, I didn't even notice this. Uh, sorry, I'm not going to take us off track, but I will. Do you guys, uh, that singer guy, uh, Jerry Vale, at the uh, at, at the uh, the party, it was Stephen Van Zant. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> really? I was like, I who's this old that singer? Later. I didn't know it until right now. Oh, oh, Love it. guys, do you think if James Gandolfini had continued living, he would have been in this movie? Oh yeah, he could have been uh, Fat Tony Salerno. That would have been a great role for him. Yeah. Oh god, I'm so sad about James Gandolfini because he was on like a tear before he died with movies. Mm-hmm. Like the last three or four movies he made were really good. He was so good in them. At least the ones that I saw. Yeah. Like uh, Enough Said and In the Loop. Yeah, I guess you can get that as one of those ones. What was that one, like, Killing Me Softly or something? Yeah. That was really good. Well, he was really good. The movie was okay. And then that one with the bar. The Dive, maybe, is what it's called? The Drop? I don't remember. The Drop. Oh. Yeah. James Gandolfini kills it in all of those movies. I vaguely remember that one. He's just so good. Yeah, he should have been here. Yeah, it's a shame. They, should, they could use technology to put him in here, right? <laughs> Never got <laughs> That's <laughs> fucked up. Hopefully not. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to do any tampering with because uh, you know they're doing that Sopranos prequel movie next year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Probably not. So I mean, here's here's the thing: is I, when we have de aging, like what is in this movie? It, yes. Like now that the technology is getting there, that is pretty seamless. I, it doesn't really bother me. It's just it's makeup, right? It's just computer makeup. Yeah, it's of, just as distracting if you gave someone a weird makeup job to make them look younger in a movie. It's fine, yeah. But then you get stuff like we're bringing back Grand Moff Tarkin. What's that one recently? It's like James Dean is going to be in some war movie coming up. (laughs) It's like what? (laughs) And that and that's even worse because at least with Grand Moff Tarkin, it's like, well, this character would make sense to be involved in this story, and we're going to do it sparingly. But yeah, when it's just like, hey, just for star factor, we're going to put a dead person in this. Uh, another one that really rubbed me the wrong way was Blade Runner 2049, where they bent over backwards to make sure that Harrison Ford could be in it, and then they just made a CG Sean Young and didn't even ask her to come in and do voiceover or anything. Um, now that I think of it, have any women ever been digitally de-aged, or is this exclusively <laughs> a men thing? Or 
are they just trying it's because men get to have their careers for their whole lives and even when they're too old to act they get to keep acting versus women who expire at like 30 i never thought of of that the bionic woman in death stranding (laughs) death stranding like video game. video game i know it's all motion capture but you know there's that one actress she plays to the president she's really old and then she also they used to motion capture and de-aged her to play your like daughter who's the same actress okay so it's happened once in a video game yeah. and she's famous for being the bionic woman she not isn't actually a bionic ah, i gotcha 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 <laughs> i'm just trying to find out this, there's uh, a lot of information bundled up in that statement that I'm <laughs> just trying to read about this uh this james dean movie uh independent film finding jack uh, a computer generated dean will play a co-starring role in this war movie has technology gone too far it can only go too far but you gotta go too far just to see how far you can go that could be like a Jeff Bridges line or something (laughs) it's his birthday today by the way say man a couple more times in there (laughs) I already forgot what I said let's talk about Robert De Niro in the Irishman so Robert De Niro is kept pretty busy throughout the years mm-hmm. mostly comedy mm-hmm. and i really forgot how good he was because he, he kind of sleepwalks through a lot of roles these days <laughs> even like when he's on snl you know you think like oh a live show that'll bring out the best in him no it no. doesn't <laughs> i guess he was okay in the scorsese inspired joker he was okay but still that was totally not his wheelhouse it's like hey you know what we should get robert to do play a late night talk show host who has to tell jokes and be friendly on live tv mm-hmm. that's his thing right but at least he gets to yell at Joker. Yeah, that's the only satisfying moment. That was in the whole I would movie. be so scared. Robert De Niro, like if you guys ever see the movie The Fan, there's a scene where Robert De Niro yells at a, a little league coach. It's the scariest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you forget because he's been playing. He's just been stuck in this groove, being like tired old guys, dirty old grandpa jokes and whatnot. And he is so dialed into this movie, and he is so intense, but also so sad. It's one of his. Best performances in a really long time. It's really fun to watch. Anytime he's on screen, I I, I love it. I kind of wish the movie, for me, was almost more of Frank and his family. Like, I understand the reason there isn't is because he wasn't spending time with them. You know, he was, they weren't a part of his life. And that's what he's trying to recapture at the end. But it was just so interesting to see this guy try to live this double life. And he just does such a great job. Through all the ages, even when he looks like weird, like, meet the parents era Robert De Niro again what's the best era of Robert De Niro in this movie I mean the performance I found most emotionally affecting is the stuff at the end I think it is for me old man decaying super old that shit is so sad even how the movie ends and begins with that doo-wop song as we kind of the long shot slowly drifting through the retirement home (laughs) what a way to like set the tone for like Scorsese all these guys we're all old we're still making crime movies but we're opening it in a retirement home (laughs) it's like they're all coming to terms with the end in their own way and the way he sort of stutters and has trouble with his narration like it's not a perfect clean read (laughs) it's just it's devastating even though it's the movie makes it so clear that like these like there's the result of his fucked up personality and the terrible decisions he made you still can't help but feel bad for the guy having absolutely blown it at life yeah because i mean you see that he he 
thinks he's doing the right thing. I mean, there's the conversation he has with his daughter at the end where he's like, I just wanted to protect you guys and do all that I could for you. But he was, you know, doing some bad stuff in order to do it. Uh, and that scene hurts so bad too because he's going to one of his other daughters because the daughter he wants to talk to won't talk to him. Yeah, yeah. He's yep. like, he doesn't even care about her. We don't even know what her name is. Yeah, he's pathetic. He's got the walker things. And he's got a wheelchair. Dude, we didn't talk about old man Joe Pesci. How impressive is that performance? Oh, I mean, it's sad, but it's just wow. So, it's really convincing. How do he shrink? He's, he looks like he's like three feet tall all of a sudden. He can't even eat the crusty bread. He can't anymore. even eat crusty bread. And he's like got a stroke at that point. It was just like, wow, that's so amazing. It, it just feels like they got some old guy, like older guy, if that was possible. <laughs> his one hand's all shaky. His other hand's all like contorted and like yeah. stuck to his chest. Ugh. Horrifying. Whereas I feel like De Niro doesn't have to do as much because De Niro's been an old man like his whole life. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's so tough. He just muscles his way through it. Yeah. You just always had that old. What was that thing that I feel like I brought up once where, like, someone said, like, De Niro breathes like a fat person or something? <laughs> <laughs> he's just always, he's never felt like well, that young of a man. I th- yeah, I think Mead Streets is the only time I've ever felt like <laughs> he seemed vibrant and alive and young, yeah. but of course he was, like, probably in his late 20s. He was just beaten down by life so quickly. Yeah. But now he's actually using that that being beaten down in like a in a good way in a movie like this instead of a bad way like bad grandpa or dirty grandpa or whatever it's called. <laughs> dirty grandpa. <God. laughs> Is this what? Okay, we talked about Al Pacino's best like last performance. What was De Niro's last great performance before this? I'm just curious. Um, like great performance or pretty good performance. <laughs> Well, what's your pretty good? I thought he was pretty good in Silver Lang's playbook, even though he's just kind of watching TV the whole movie. But he's he's really into the Eagles. Didn't he get an Oscar nomination for that? I feel like that was more of like, you're Robert De Niro. Here yeah. You go. Here's your nomination. But like Grudge last... match. Grudge oh, match. Grudge match. Oh, he took his shirt off for he a lot of that He movie. doesn't win, though, right? Who wins in grudge match? I don't, maybe it's like a tie. I thought De Niro, or Stallone won. S- Stallone has 200 pounds on he Robert De Niro. He has two of one. You punch his face off. Uh, let's see. I didn't see Joy, the intern. Oh, yeah, the intern. Limitless. <laughs> okay. Righteous Kill, which is a horrendous movie with Pacino. This is probably the best movie he's ever done with Pacino, at least maybe since he... I, mean, I, I was going to say, it kind of makes you wish that Righteous Kill didn't exist, because <laughs> that movie had kind of the the glow of like, oh, we get to see De Niro and Pacino actually acting together instead of in just one scene. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it kind of sucked. But, you know, you get a lot of De Niro and Pacino action in this movie, but I didn't really think of it. Like, I wasn't that excited to see it, because I was just like, yeah, they've, they've done it before. Right. But you do get Pesci Pacino. Just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little taste. It's, that's, that's a rarity. In that, but I you, don't think you, it's happened before. Yeah, and of course, you you would almost expect them to be yelling at each other, but of course, it's just a normal conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my so, deep dive of De Niro, not really any great performance in the 2000s. A lot of just 
pretty good ones. So you're saying the 20th century is the last good to your performance? I mean, there's some, to the there's some pretty century. good, but great ones, yeah. But this is a great performance in this movie. So mm-hmm. maybe this means the 2020s will he'll really come alive and have a really great decade. Yeah. Joker two, maybe. I think he's ready to, to to settle down and do an HBO show, like Anthony Hopkins did. Yeah, for one season. That we know of. Oh, he's doing a movie called The War with Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> How many movies does he need to do where to have Grandpa in the title? I he's get old. it. He's old. <laughs> <sighs> Though he is doing. Killers of the Flower Moon, which is a Martin Scorsese movie, it coming out in twenty twenty one. Pretty cool, I guess. J. Edgar Hoover shit in it. Wait, is, Caprio's not playing Edgar Hoover, is he? He is in it as well. Whoa, that'd be hilarious. We'll see. Okay, because I was gonna ask, like, you know, after he finished this and Silence, which were movies that he was trying to get made forever and ever, it's like. Is there anything else left for Scorsese to do? This feels like such a nice like button to his career, but Rolling Stones biopic. Biopic. I always wanted him to do um could do the, the Devil in the White City, you know, that book about H. H. Holmes killing people in like his killer hotel during like the Chicago World's Fair. Um, I'm looking it up now. It is now a mini series starring mm-hmm. DiCaprio, who has had the rights for a long time. And I think uh, Scorsese's producing, but oh. I, I don't know. I guess that could be cool, but I was, I, he'll probably direct some episodes too, but yeah. that's obviously something I always wanted to see from him. I do feel like he was trying to get a Rat Pack movie made in the 90s for a while, but he's probably given up on that. Well, I mean, that poses the fun question of what Scorsese regulars play, what members of the Rat Pack I know they had a cast in mind. Let's see if I can find it. While you're doing that, I'm going to look at what else we got in the works. A Teddy Roosevelt movie? Everybody wants to make one. Sean, oh no, that's of course DiCaprio. That's pretty good. DiCaprio's pretty good. It's a good choice. Is there a better choice for Teddy Roosevelt, though? Nick Offerman? <laughs> The government's so on the nose, though. <laughs> it's not even clever. Also, Scorsese's going to be doing a documentary about 70s music in New York. Seems very, like, very comfortable territory. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty on the nose. Yeah, he just get documentaries. Oh, yeah, that's right. You guys are rock talk. I don't care. Personally, I don't care. I'm not going to watch it. Were you looking into something called... Yeah, I was looking into this uh, Rat Pack movie. Yeah, the only thing I could find is that he wanted Tom Hanks to play uh, Dean Martin. But I'm not sure who else else was going to be in it. I guess he could still play Dean Martin. I love the idea of Tom Hanks just being smashed all the time. Yeah, it's a little hard. (laughs) Make sure you got Arbor Downey Jr. A little easier to imagine. Yeah, a little too easy. I feel bad now. He worked hard to get over those demons. Ah. Plus, he probably would want to play Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, God. I see what you did there. You yeah, do. Okay, so we've gone through the cast. Yeah, I mean, we can go back if we're 
minor, minor characters. You want to talk about Stephen Graham? Oh, pro? He was on Boardwalk Empire. He played Al Capone on that, and so that must have been his in. He's pretty good for a guy who I did not know who he was. <laughs> or even, or what the character with he was a he was a teamster. You know, that's a, that's one issue for me with this movie is I feel really dumb not really knowing a lot about teamsters and unions and how important it was. I don't know if it was more important in this period of time. Yeah, that's a, like that's a part of it, right? Where the what I was talking about earlier, like I don't really understand the Jimmy Hoffa character that well but I, I i get that he was actually like he he did do a lot of good for a lot of people right like the 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 unions weren't just a money laundering scheme for him yeah. right it was he was actually helping out a lot of people in a very positive way yeah it definitely feels like i'm sure older people really appreciate this stuff more <laughs> knowing more about Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, they say in the narration that most people, younger people or people today probably won't really yeah. know much about him aside from the fact that he disappeared. The nurse played by the lady from Orange is Black just had to like, ha ha ha, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. How do you guys think they, they did with the whole the handling of uh, Jimmy Hoffa's demise, that whole sequence of the movie? Uh, I mean, I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. I mean, the fact that like Robert De Niro gets on that plane to go meet up with him. And, like, Joe Pesci waits in the car the whole time. Like, you see the whole thing beginning to end. And then meeting up with him. And it seems like a friendly get-together. And they go into that empty house. And just another one of those kind of blink-and-you'll-miss-it, like, violent moments of violence. That It's crazy. You spent so much time with this character in the movie. And then just, boom, it's like that. And I think it's especially heartbreaking that... The, the Hoffa I mean obviously we don't know what his real last words are but in this he's he's saying come on Frank let's get out of here He it, even until the very end he doesn't think that Frank would betray him he thinks he's the only guy that's yeah. still on his side he, 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 he feels like it's a suspicious, suspicious area but yeah he's not suspicious of Frank not at all what a gut punch <laughs> yeah and just the way they set it up where they're using it as a framing device this weekend where they're traveling and then yeah i guess that combined with like how they're they constantly throughout the movie are telling you how uh like all these individual characters eventually die around 1980 it just gives the movie this sense of impending doom for like everyone who's (laughs) inhabiting this lifestyle and uh then you then you actually see the the impending doom at the end uh, yeah, it's pretty great. I was disappointed they didn't have the part where they buried Jimmy Hoffa under Giant Stadium as one of the oh, legends. You, blind, you believe in that one. <laughs> <laughs> He's there today, somewhere. You dig through that stadium. And... Not according to Bruce Almighty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Bruce Almighty sits in some field. They did, their, they did their research. You got it with a scenario like that, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just go at it all mm-hmm. slapdash like. You have to do your research on if a man had all these powers, what would be the consequences? What would be our reality? Mm-hmm. Explore it even further in Evan Almighty. I mean, the superior film? Question mark? No, it's absolutely not the superior film. <laughs> Bruce Almighty is passable, Evan Almighty is dreadful. <laughs> it's just boring. Remember the part 
where he makes Jennifer Aniston have bigger boobs. Like, that's comedy gold. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> so what do you... I'd like to know what you how you feel, Colin, about the fact that this movie, uh, Martin Scorsese's long-awaited epic, is a Netflix original. <laughs> pretty weird, honestly. I, I kind of wish it wasn't. Like, I wish I had gotten to see it in a theater, which... I could have, but it just, I don't know, I just kept putting it off, and then it got closer to the Netflix release date, and I just figured, eh, I'll just watch it when it comes out on Netflix. Also, I don't know, three and a half hours sitting down at a movie theater is a lot, and it does kind of make sense putting it on Netflix, since it... it, it is a platform where people will... Uh, you know, binge watch entire uh, TV seasons, and this is almost as long as a TV season. I don't know that it would work broken up, which I feel like I saw someone uh, was able to break it up online and say, like, these are the best places to stop and then start back up again if you want to watch it as, like, a TV show, which I'm sure Martin Scorsese would not approve of, but... Yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds like the only way that this movie was able to get made was through Netflix's funding. Um, but I... Yeah, it's weird. I don't know if I have a huge beef with it, because it's like, whatever. Times are changing, and I, I, I like the fact that Scorsese, despite being someone who loves you know, film and film history, has been able to adapt and stay relevant. So I... I don't know. I kind of like that he's embracing streaming, even if he does seem a little more set in his ways, uh, you know, going on rants about Avengers movies and whatnot. But I don't have a huge problem with it. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie that's a product of its time. Like, like you said, only Netflix was willing to actually pay for it. I think Paramount scoffed at the budget if i remember correctly mm-hmm. like they would they were they were willing to make it but not for the amount of money that they needed to do it the way that they did it and also they couldn't have done it the way they did it at any other point in history because this is a mostly animated movie <laughs> uh and that's crazy so it doesn't i mean i, I like theaters to continue to exist that business is changing and He's adapting to it, and I don't. It, it doesn't have to be a sad thing. I, I, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot for a movie like this. I would be <laughs> so intimidated. I was, I would be so intimidated to see this in theaters. I was intimidated to watch it at home. I remember Sean and I talking about like, oh, well, we can't have too many distractions. Joking, be like, you can't check your phone the whole movie. I didn't do it. Sean I, didn't do it. I put my phone away. I checked it plenty of times, uh, but I made like coffee. Like, and I was, I tried to get like a good night's sleep to get ready for it. <laughs> And I think that's the one thing. Like, I gave this movie a positive review, not quite as glowing as most people. And it was really only because it was long, and it was hard mm. for me to watch a movie that long. I, I like the movie. It's just so long. It's just, it's just a day. Like, it's it, your day, it, yeah. It, it fucks you up. <laughs> it fucks you up. I feel like, yeah, you had to go to take a nap afterwards, right? I was just, like, exhausted. <laughs> I know. I couldn't think of what else to do. It was, like, 6 p.m. I was like, what do I do now? I definitely spent some time afterwards just reading about Jimmy Hoffa mm-hmm. a little bit. Just seeing how many of these characters showed up in the Hoffa movie. Not very many, unfortunately. 
Directed by Danny DeVito, of course. Danny oh. DeVito. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad because I for this. I'm sure I was like an intermission at least, but that would have been tough. Like I don't. I'm trying to think what's the longest we've ever seen in theaters. Probably Lawrence of Arabia. But I feel mm. like for me that may warrant its length a little more than something like this, just because it's like an epic war. Thing. Was Endgame three hours? The new Avengers. No movie? way, Endgame was as long as this, but it could have been three hours. Yeah, it might have been three yeah. hours, two and a half to three, somewhere in that range. I'm sure for some people that was that felt like a, a, the longest movie ever. Not ever <laughs> is super high on those movies. How many times have you guys seen Endgame at this point? Still only once. I should watch it on. Uh, on Disney Plus, 181 minutes. Jeez, mm. yeah. But yeah. probably 32 of those are credits. I saw it a second time recently. Oh, re- recently, really? Well, because it was on Disney Plus, and my girlfriend hadn't seen it, so why not? Yeah, because it's great. It's pretty good. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what's the longest movie I've ever seen. Was one of the I haven't seen the extended Return of the Kings, but I've seen that as well. This ungodly long. That's why I picked Showa as my next oh pick. My it's like it's like five hours, right? It's so long. It's yeah, it's it's so long. I'm like I will never. Isn't watch it just Showa. like a mini series at that point? Is it yeah. really still a movie? What are you trying to prove? Uh, extended. Ooh, oh my god! <laughs> There's an extended cut no, of no, Showa. No, Showa. No, I didn't realize extended Return of the King. It's 252 minutes long. We watched it over two nights earlier this year. 252! It's almost an hour longer than this movie. It's pretty long. Oh my god. Oh my god. Probably has worse CG than this movie does now. Yeah. It has good CG. I'm just being mean. <laughs> it, it was funny because like I was really digging a lot of the extended edition stuff because it adds so much texture, so many things from the books. Yeah. But I think Collins is like bored. I'm sure some people think hey, you know the opposite for this. You know, people probably find this really gripping, and you know, or vice versa. Yeah, I mean, so when you get down to it, it was too much. The Irishman is too much movie. And I know it's to, because you're supposed to feel the weight of time passing, the the the, the toll on on the the, uh, the the cost of of this, the 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 tragedy of of living a life this way. But it's uh, like it's it's so long. I have. I'm not going to watch it again, at least not for a very long time. You should watch it when you're really old. <laughs> when you die. Someday, Sean, you're going to be old, and you're going to go buy your green coffin from Action Bronson. Yeah. Action Bronson cameo. Yeah. Can you imagine having a cameo in a movie where it's like, yeah, I show up at like the 200-minute mark. <laughs> As that a- actor, or an act- rapper Action Bronson is the coffin salesman in this movie. Yeah, I saw him in Philly once on South Street. He was just like hanging out. Really? Getting... I guess he looks pretty nondescript. Like you could. That's crazy. Yeah. You haven't even been there that long. Well, yeah. Well, how I mean, much he... time we spent in Bellevue? It's, but... it's not like I just walked by. He was like getting selfies with people, so it was uh, a little easier to spot. Also, I was gonna he's say super weird looking. Think how long we lived in Seattle and and have been going to Bellevue before we finally saw Sir Mix a lot. Took forever. It, it was 2010 forever. before yeah. we finally saw Sir Mix a lot walk around. And he, it, was, it was easy to notice him. And you already got Action Bronson. Yeah. 
You know, you're gonna see M Night Shyamalan any day. Yeah, now. he's I he's so. just check your window every night. Yeah, Colin, being in, in Philadelphia, this has been pretty uh, interesting watching such a, a Pennsylvania-centric film. Yeah, Did... it was, I guess. I don't know, I've Could... never, <laughs> I've, I haven't spent much time in South Philly, which is like the more Italian-Irish uh, neighborhood where it, it has a bit of a, a gang presence history. I'm sure those days are kind of over by now, since I don't even know what the mafia is now, but... Yeah, that's that's interesting. Could you, guys, could you guys tell when it was in Philly and when it was in Detroit and when it was in New York, or did it all just seem like mafia city? I mean, I couldn't tell, but does it matter? Yeah, not really. I mean, a lot Florida, of Florida, you could really tell. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's all probably like a CG hybrid of a. <laughs> past version of those cities anyways so even there it is kind of hard to tell yeah i mean and that goes to show you how great the technology is again like who knows how much stuff in this movie was real you spend all your time thinking about the faces think about how many other things in this movie were probably cg that you didn't even notice Mm -hmm. yeah colin you want to take us out on the irishman on a a more positive note than it's too long. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really have a problem with the length. I guess I. I think of uh, more recent Scorsese movies that are on the longer side, like Wolf of Wall Street, where where like I. I kind of got burned out on it after like the first hour, hour and a half, because it has such like a unrelentingly snappy. <laughs> pace to it but this one like i i enjoyed the measured uh pacing of it and i i was never really bored i don't know i I didn't have a problem with it being too long i i would watch this movie again but maybe it's just because i'm (laughs) a bit of a scorsese fanatic and watching all these all these guys do their thing is is pretty fun i mean another way to read the story is that it's a story of male friendships, and you can't help but think of the lifelong friendships between uh, both De Niro and Scorsese, but also De Niro and Pacino have been friends throughout their careers. So just, I don't know, seeing all these these old guys that have known each other forever getting to work together, possibly one last time, is, is pretty fun. And <laughs> I don't know, I, I just... Yeah, I enjoyed getting to see all these guys together, and it felt like a culmination of a lot of things. It's long, but uh, yeah. it's it's worth the length, I think. It is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is, yes. Well, that is what we usually say when someone makes their pick, because <laughs> there's, there's no refuting it. It is what it is. Uh, what is... Your pick for next week, John. John's, John's Goose. Goose. Oh, I forgot about John's Goose. There's got to be some Goose here. Uh, goof in the Irishman. In the scenes where the characters are riding in cars, the windows are all open, but no one's hair is moving and no signs of the air coming into the car. Guys, fakery is afoot. How do we know the windows are open? You can see the windows are open. How, are they like half down? Yeah, I assume this is just, you know, like they use some back projection and they're probably filming it in this studio. Uh, I didn't notice. 
Well done. <laughs> Visual trickery succeeded. <laughs> Goof in the movie Shark Tale. Letty tells Frankie that he's cold-blooded because he's cold-blooded. In fact, great white sharks are one of the four types of sharks that are warm-blooded. Oh, well, it's a common misconception. So, and what does he know? He's an idiot. Yeah. Uh, most of the Irishman goofs are stuff like, oh, this kind of gun wasn't invented yet. Or helicopters didn't have this kind of glass cockpit or, or stuff like that and a couple a couple things where like a guy was killed at a different time but for the most part nothing uh too too out there they did their they did their homework yeah they didn't you have to in a movie like this right it covers so much time wow always a fun segment uh my next pick so as you are well aware at this point we've alluded to it we're going into a a long run of non the pick podcast pretty soon in fact our season is ending in two weeks with john's pick which he has hinted will be a christmas special also we have our star oh and the star which is kind of like that's the like the last that's the real season season. finale so um so this is my last pick of this season um and it's also kind of the last normal pick before we go into the christmas special and the star wars special so i wanted to bring us back where we started revisit something that all three of us admitted in the very first episode that we hadn't seen ladies and gentlemen training day (laughs) all right yeah it was on Amazon Prime up until today, and now it costs ninety nine cents to rent. But it's only a buck. Yeah, we can yes, do it. I can spare that. I know the King Kong line. That's all I know. Yeah, that King Kong. King Kong doesn't have anything on him. I think if this goes well, this will probably be the last Antoine Fuqua pick I make. But I'm definitely open to a lot more Denzel Washington picks going forward. If this goes well, should we do Magnificent Seven? No, we should not do Magnificent <laughs> Seven. <laughs> I don't know. Vincent D'Onofrio looks pretty funny in that movie. He's doing a lot. He's doing a goofy voice, too. <laughs> Great. That'll be my pick. <laughs> Start banking stuff for season two whenever. Well, I guess that'll oh, be. Oh, I have. I've got so much bank. That'll be like after Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. Well, it's... it'll be more timely than ever to talk about it. Magnificent Seven. All right, well, uh, we got that to look forward to next week. Uh, I've been writing some stuff on the blog about 2010s music. I guess we'll also have our top 10 lists of the decade and of 2019 also coming up uh, in addition to those podcasts. Um, So until next time, forget about it. Show me that you go in the still of 